Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Red Sox Hot Stove Edition with the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Had some developments across the league uh, this week, some of them possible targets that Red Sox fans might have been interested in have gone elsewhere. We will talk about how we expect the market to evolve from here and uh, maybe a couple of expectations. Uh, a couple of the big ones, Teoscar Hernandez, he signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers for just one year at $23 million, so one year at a high annual value. Shota Imanaga has signed with the Cubs for only a four-year guarantee worth $13.25 million in each of those four years. There are two option years uh, beyond that, but it is only a four-year guarantee. So we'll be getting into uh, those transactions, what we expect from here. We might touch on winter weekend in the final segment. I am Terry Cushman, joined tonight by Micah Storms, Cody Paulson. How are you, gentlemen? Doing all right, Terry. Micah, always a pleasure to be on the pod with you all again. Uh, we are in the Black Monday week of the NFL and the college football, uh, I guess, carousel. And it's just kind of a reminder of how much of a dud that this offseason has been. You know, we get uh, a dribble of news here or there. And, you know, I guess we got the Teoscar news and, and the Imanaga news. So that's kind of a busy week so far. But um, a lot to unpack for sure. You know, um, hopefully some better better days ahead. But how are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing well. Um, would like the Red Sox to make some moves. Um, I always kind of consider January to usually be like the dog days of of uh, the the winter in terms of baseball. Um, but actually, for the most part, there's actually a decent amount of free agents available now. Well, will they actually sign anytime soon? Nobody knows. But there are some names out there that. I feel like usually aren't always out there at this time of the off season, but it's just been, like you said, Cody, slow, slow, slow. Um, all for all this just points to the reason that they need signing periods. I've been screaming it all along. It would make the off season so much more entertaining. Just make it happen, please. We were talking about that yesterday in the war room and I basically said, you know, this winter has been terrible for my mental health. But it's been great for the podcast because people have a reason to come back and see what the hell's going on and and so on and so forth. And it's probably going to drag out for a little while. But let's go ahead and get into the pitching aspect of things. Now, I was not a Shota Imanaga guy at all, really. And even seeing at what little he signed for, I'm still kind of glad that we're not making a four-year gamble on a guy who I believe is a complete wild card. But it is a little concerning that the Red Sox saw even that price tag a little too hefty, $13.25 million. And it's just, I'm kind of resigned to the idea we're going to get stuck with a Mike Lorenzen type guy, some guy that's just not sexy and isn't going to give me a ton of confidence. I'm basically back where I was prior to the Giolito signing. When he got signed, I'm like, okay, we did something. That's an important piece. It was a guy I coveted. And now I'm just like, 
What are we doing again? It just it looks like they might not want to exceed 200 million, which is about where we're at right now. It's just I I don't know, but Micah, what are your thoughts? I feel like it's a combo of two things. I think one, the reporters who were on these leaks and all these leads, they had him way overpriced because he signs for $53 million over four years. And many reporters, not just one, many, suggested he would sign for 100 plus. So, I mean, that is a massive gap. And I think the other way you can kind of spin it is that teams valued Imanaga more like a number four starter. And that's kind of how he gets paid. So, you know, for me, I, I can see the frustration, the fact that, you know, he signs for $13.25 million AAV. Um, you know, that should be an affordable price for a team like the Red Sox. And it doesn't appear like it was, but the Red Sox don't need number four caliber pitchers. They need front of the rotation arms. So signing Imanaga to me would have made very little sense, especially seeing kind of how the market valued him. Um, I'm with you, Terry. I think he's a complete wild card um, and probably the best years of his career are behind him. You know, maybe he finds something special um, in the middle of his, at the, the second half of his career when he wouldn't be the first Japanese pitcher to do that. But um, too big of a risk. I would much rather see with them being on a, a kind of a spending crunch, spend that money elsewhere, that $13.25 million elsewhere, if they actually will spend it. I don't know. but uh, Because if they would have signed Imanaga, that probably would have been maybe the last move they made in the offseason. Uh, maybe they went out and got a bat too, but that would have definitely probably been the last pitching um addition they would have made and i would not have been okay with that going into um, the season cody you know in the wake of the yamamoto signing we're like all right you know imanaga is still out there but i think as a whole this podcast was like five 100 that's really rich for a player on the wrong side of 30 you know we kind of talked ourselves out of him and for him to sign for 453 you know with a chance to get to 80 after two years, you know, the contract deferrals and, and all the fancy language that they're putting into these days. Um, as the resident, like, positivity guy on the podcast, Mike, I know that you trend a little bit more positive than the rest of them as well, so it's nice to have some balance here. I'm getting really tired of the Red Sox showing up to the table with their pockets turned out like, I don't know, guys, do you guys need money? We don't have it. Um, you know, this is this is an organization that is time and again spent right and you know you can say that they spent incorrectly that's fine but you know they're asking their patrons to spend exorbitant amounts of money to go and experience a game at the ballpark and they're going to continuously put on a subpar um product you know it's it's we're being told you know we're seriously in the consideration for or you know we show strong interest in or we remain in talks in with these free agents and then as soon as they sign the reports come out that the Red Sox weren't even close or they were uncomfortable with or unwilling to go to this number or, you know, go to past these years or whatever. And, you know, one again, right, we remained strongly linked to Imanaga. He signs for 453 and the Red Sox weren't in the ballgame. And so, you know, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to see a path to a successful offseason. I don't want to link it to, you know, your team's down 17 with four minutes in the fourth quarter. You're like, all right, well, if you score quick here, get a three and out or a turnover, maybe an onside kick, 
you're doing all these mental gymnastics to figure out how your team can kind of get in the ball game. And, and it's exhausting, right? Cause we keep going through these, through the scenarios of like, Oh, well, if we shed this payroll, if we trade, you know, uh, Yoshida, if we trade Jansen and then, you know, we flip for a Miami pitcher or, you know, make some trade out of nowhere, you know, pull something out from under the rug. And it's like, none of these moves are going to happen. There's no reason for us to believe that ownership is even paying attention to the Red Sox at this point, right? They don't show up to winter weekend. They make these flippant comments in the media and then they write off and do whatever they want to do with their time. Um, it's, it's getting very, very old and it's really unfortunate. Um, four for 53 for a fourth. I mean, okay, it's fine. You get them 30 to 34, right? Medical has have, you know, extended guys careers long enough to where that's something that we absolutely should be in the mix for. And, you know, Terry and I have talked about this, Mike, I don't know if you and I have had this specific conversation, but we could also use a number four starter. We don't have five pitchers right now that we're confident that can give us 20 starts. Right. So we're not above signing a number four starter at this point. Right. You know, if you're looking at a good rotation that was missing a Chris sale or a David price to push us over the edge to, you know, make a World Series run, I absolutely understand saying, hey, you know, maybe we don't need Imanaga at this point, but we we need pitchers. Like, we were doing a bullpen run-through two out of the five days of the rotation. Like, we are, at this point, a poverty franchise, not only in the product that we're putting on the field, the way that we're approaching free agents, but the way that we're also approaching the offseason. And it's it's – it's very frustrating as somebody who likes to kind of remain positive. I think I had the highest win projected total out of the group last year. I was always, you know, trying to put lipstick on a pig and, and it's just, it's not, it's not looking that way. It's pretty ominous. I mean, we're back to the Red Sox being fixated on a certain price for a certain number of years when, when a big market team shouldn't, shouldn't be dwelling on something so concrete. I just don't, I don't get it. And you look at what's left. I mean, if you're not getting Imanaga for $50 million, you're not pursuing Jordan Montgomery. I mean, that's a pipe dream at this point. And I think Montgomery is going to sign closer to a hundred million. He's not getting the one fifty or higher, you know, for six or seven years that some of the projections have, you know, been posted. And I, I think it's going to be for much less than that. And even so, I still don't think the Red Sox are going to be competitive uh, with him. Cody? I mean, Terry, you mentioned it. We're currently at 200, and the only constant to the reports is we need to shed payroll to, per, you know, aggressively pursue the free agents. So that means they want to go down farther before they even kind of work their bait back up, let alone get anywhere close to the the first level of the luxury tax, right? We're not asking, hey, we need to, you know, blow the whole budget, back the whole thing up, you know, go way over. We're just saying, hey, act like you care. Uh, Mike, I believe you had something you wanted to add. What I don't understand is, like, if they want to truly – stay at 225 and they're worried about that and they're like we have to shed payroll before we add i don't understand why they have to operate that way like it is january 10th you could go out and sign jordan montgomery 
And then you could even add a bat like Solaire. And then you can trade Kenley Jansen in three, two weeks, three weeks. Like you don't have to subtract before you add. You can add and then subtract if you're really worried about dollar amounts. I mean, they shouldn't be worried about dollar amounts, but they are. But they don't have to operate this way. It's so stupid. I don't know if you guys saw the report, uh, you know, you saying Kenley kind of made me think about it. Uh, Do you see that interview with Andrew Bailey? I haven't yet. Uh, he essentially said that there doesn't need to be a bona fide closer to the bullpen. So they might be stoking the flames of potentially a Kenley move or, or moving him off of that role. Um, but that's, you know, food for thought for a future episode. We'll see what comes up on it. It should not be hard at all to trade Kenley Jansen. He's a great alternative to Josh Hader, who's going to get at least four to upwards of maybe six years, depending. And I say depending because I don't hear his name get kicked around hardly at all. So it should be pretty easy to trade a guy like Jansen. But what are we going to do with it? Are we gonna are we gonna use that money to go perhaps get some of these guys that we don't expect to to be competitive with? I, I mean, I I don't know. And you did touch on it a little bit, Cody. I mean, the Red Sox were in the room in the Imanaga negotiations. What were they hoping to get him for? If he signed for fifty three, were they hoping for? 30 million for 40 million, something that was not even remotely realistic. I mean, it's like they're, it's like they have a designated troll to someone in the front office, like in Moneyball. Um, Peter Brand's character, played by Jonah Hill, he was a nobody in the Cleveland Indians front office, Indians at the time. Okay. And obviously he was the assistant GM when he, you know, joined Brad Pitt in Oakland. So they might have some nobody intern just getting in touch with these teams saying, oh, we're, we're interested. Yeah, keep us posted. And and that's how we're getting reports that the Red Sox are interested when they're, they're, they're never going to seriously make an offer. Like, what's the pitch if you're not close to being competitive. Now I'm being a little bit facetious with that scenario, but it's, it just doesn't make sense that they're interested in all these guys. And you're not even hearing that they're the runner up. You're not hearing that they were aggressive, you know, with, with that particular free agent, you're not hearing any of that right now. So I just, the one the one glaring weakness of the last four or five years has been the rotation. And it's just hard to imagine they're going to do something about it. Even having the means to shed more payroll to do it. I just don't trust that they're going to do it. And it, it sounds like somebody would be willing to take on Yoshida. You know, you just might not be getting great trade packages back if you're expecting the other team to take all the money. And I'd be fine with that if I knew for sure they were gonna they were gonna put that money to good use. That would be fine for me. But it's just it's just gotten to be ridiculous. And like if they end up trading Jansen and then say they actually go out and get Montgomery, like unless Jansen brings back a young controllable starter, 
Like I saw there was a trade out there, a trade that a fan made, but it was like Jansen to the Dodgers and Gavin Stone comes back to the, the, the Red Sox. And it's like, he's a young controllable starter. I can get behind that idea, but like if they don't bring a big league piece back, and they're still able to go out and get Jordan Montgomery, Red Sox fans should still be angry about that. Like, there's no reason to shed Kenley Jansen unless you're bringing back a big league piece. And you can't you can't convince the fans that you're trying to compete when you trade your closer. And I know Jansen wasn't this, um, you know, he wasn't the old Jansen, you know, where he's a lockdown, but he was pretty good last year for the most part. And he's had 30-plus saves. And there's no one on the Red Sox that has a history of closing games out. So if you're going to make a case for Chris Martin, who I probably think could close, he hasn't done it in his career. Garrett Whitlock hasn't done it in his career. Tanner Houck hasn't closed over the course of a season. So if you're going to convince me that the Red Sox are really going to win next year, trading Kenley Jansen for anything less than a big league caliber player doesn't do it. And there's no argument you can make that it will change my mind on that. Another player off the board, Teoscar Hernandez. Not a guy I wanted. I, I forget where you guys stand. I know he was somewhat popular uh, on the crew. I know Jason and Charlie were both uh, very favorable uh, to signing him. I'm a much bigger Jorge Soler guy draws more walks, strikes out a lot less. I just think he profiles a little bit better. He He's a righty, and that overlay that people take off of, I think it's baseball savant, and you, you put his hits last year at Fenway Park. I mean, he's just crushing it. <laughs> like, you're, you're looking at 38 to 40 home runs minimum, if not, you know, mid-40s, and... I just think that would be an explosive addition to the lineup. I mean, you go Devers in the two hole, then Solaire third, Casas fourth. I mean, wow, <laughs> that's a lot of power. It's a lot of walks. I mean, for for as bad as Casas was in those first two months, he was drawing walks. So I, it would just be – it's just a perfect fit and, quite frankly, a no-brainer. Uh, Micah, you said you saw reports that the Red Sox are out of it. There's a Heyman report saying that the Blue Jays or the Red Sox are more likely. Take it for what it's worth because it's Heyman. But um, but that would be that would be a, a great move for the Red Sox. And going back to Hernandez, $23.5 million for a year, and they've deferred <laughs> $8.5 million of that uh, over – eight or nine years uh, into the next decade. So um, they're deferring one-year contracts. And I very sarcastically said on on Facebook, the Dodgers have become the psychotic girlfriend that does drugs and maxes out your credit cards on you, you know, behind your back. Because it's just very reckless at this point. And they need to push money out. I, I just... In 2027 or 2028, they're going to have to pursue a big-time free agent. And they've already got money deferred for Mookie, Shohei, and a little bit for for Hernandez. But it's just kind of nuts what's going on out there. Micah? 
If you had to guess the total dollar amount of deferred money for Mookie, Otani, Freeman, and Hernandez, what would you put the number at, unless you saw it? I saw it, so I'll abstain. Um, I did see something. I don't know if it was the same thing. Um, so Shohei's getting what six eighty deferred. Mookie probably has about a hundred or so deferred. It must be. It's close to a billion. It's eight hundred million to a billion. It's eight hundred and sixty-five million dollars. Yeah, insane. Go let's, ahead, Cody. Let's just round round it up to a billion. <laughs> I mean, I think they've committed over a billion dollars worth of, of money in this offseason alone between, you know, the Teoscar, the Yamamoto and the Otani signings. Um, you know, I mean, Hernandez would have been exciting. Heck, anybody, Mike Sweeney, Matt Stairs, one of them would be exciting at this point. Right. Like, you know, the baseball savant and the overlay pages are always so nice. Right. They're like, oh, look what this player would do at Fenway. And it's seemingly anybody and everybody that's right handed would crush. You know, Hernandez being a right handed power bat would be nice. You know, I think some sort of Solaire Lazardo trade would, you know, pry away some of those prized prospects, which, you know, I think at this point, any of us would be would be happy to do at this point. Um, you know, I don't want to rinse and repeat what we were saying about Imanaga, but one year, twenty three point five million for a power bat that's right handed, which you desperately need. I mean, these are these are no brainer moves, right? Like these aren't like we got out savvy or we got, you know, overextended. They offered him a seven year deal and all this are like, well, I don't want to offer him seven. You know, like you can't logic your way out of any of these deals that these other teams are making for these players that would be great fits for the team here in Boston. And that's when it's becoming increasingly frustrating, right? You know, like you look at the Bogart steal from last year, right? I know a lot of people were upset about that, but nobody wanted to pay him for 12 years, right? Or, you know, judge for however many we were never going to get judged but like oft injured player into his thir- late 30s like you know the otani deal you get you know do the mental gymnastics around and you know even the yamamoto deal i guess like if you really wanted to you could kind of get upset with it or be glad that that wasn't on your books but i mean that was still a pretty good one if we're being honest um these last two deals i mean these are these are no-brainers right you put imanog in your back pocket you you combo that with hernandez and maybe one other piece and the offseason's starting to look a lot better and it's not at any of these crippling contracts that are going to make you you know trade off a good mlb ready player in a couple of years to the dodgers when we inevitably have you know that time as a flat circle moment um and so even if he is a, a guy that strikes out a lot, you know, we've dealt with that before. That hasn't been a problem. You can cover him with players that that walk as well. Um, it's it's just a bummer is really what it's coming down to. Go ahead, Micah. I, I think what bothers me the most, and it, it kind of touches off the Imanaga, like if you're in the room, what are you offering Imanaga? If you know – like, because they were, it was reported that they were really interested in Hernandez and that he was a top target this offseason. If you know that one in 23 and a half are on the table, it doesn't matter if it's deferred, like, you still have to beat that number and you are stuck on two and 28. Like, you shouldn't even be in the, in the bidding for him because that's not even a comparable offer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're giving him five more million dollars for an extra year of service. He can get way more of that, especially if he kills it in LA, like he probably will because everybody kills it in LA. Like it just, 
it just shows that they really don't understand the market when it comes to working in free agency. Like you're not going to be able to sit, okay, two and 28, that's our number. If you really want a free agent, you're probably going to have to go over that number. And like three and 45 or three and 50, four and 60, like that's probably what you would have had the given Hernandez to beat that one in 23 year deal because Hernandez can sign that deal. He can kill it in LA and he can be a free agent next year. He could have a massive year and probably get a four or five year deal if he really wants it. But in order to persuade him not to go that route, you had to offer him something significant. Two and 28 is a joke. And I would have much rather the Red Sox say, well, we know that the Dodgers are offering one in 23 we're not even in because we can't comp- we can't match that. I'd rather hear them say that than offer two and twenty eight. That's just embarrassing. I think we possibly could have got it done at like two years, forty million. I think the Red Sox and you you could put an opt out in there too after the first year. I don't think the Red Sox would have had a problem with that if if they were willing to. They just weren't willing to go anywhere near even twenty million for one year. Is the problem. And if the so was the offer two years twenty eight. Okay, so that is what it was. That was the report. Yeah, that okay. was the report. I mean, take the report for whatever it is because there's been so many reports this off season that have been nowhere near what the actual numbers were. So okay. I guess take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's about what Jorge Soler would be worth. It, it might be. It might be 30 million over two years, maybe 32. I can't see it getting too far north of that. And there's not a ton of teams in on him. He doesn't have the interest that Hernandez had for some reason. So I'm still kind of clinging to hope that we'll get him, but that rotation is still, it still looks pretty ominous to me. Uh, you know, if they, if they don't resolve that. I don't, I don't care. I mean, when in World Series history were you completely, you know, an offensive team, you know, with little pitching? It's just maybe the Kansas City Royals. They had a great bullpen that year, though. But um, it's just not a thing. You, got, you have to have a good rotation. So uh, winter weekend uh, is about to start. Red Sox ownership will not be there. There will be no town hall. We've already talked about this in previous shows, but that kind of is at the forefront now, especially where they seem to be in limbo here uh, in terms of making deals or not. Um, it seems like they've already whiffed on the offseason. I, I think they blew it, that, you know, and, and by blowing it, kind of like what Cody said, they just they just had a bad read on the market on what they thought they could do didn't have a feel for it and and that's probably why we're in the situation we're in so so winter weekend is happen happening i think is it like the mgm grand in springfield it's definitely in springfield massachusetts i I forget what the name of the uh, event center is but um so no town hall meeting and that's notable because last year it was a mob scene with Bloom trying to justify everything that he had done and then ends up getting fired, uh, you know, a handful of months later. And they're replacing that part of the event with 
uh, Jonathan Papelbon doing like almost like a late night show, you know, just interviewing people and whatnot. And that sounds cool. I think that will be entertaining, but the elephant in the room is ownership. And I'm kind of hoping that this ends up being a shit show in some regard. (laughs) That's what I want to hear starting tomorrow night that the fans are nuts and, you know, you know, wanting to riot in in a way, not literally, but, you know, figuratively, but uh, Micah thoughts on uh, winter weekend it's disappointing and i think it it just shows that the ownership group does not have a a a feel for the fan base because they know how the fans feel there's no doubt about it because that's why they're not there they know that if they were to go that they would get crushed like they did last year probably would be even worse so they know how the fans feel but they don't have a feel for what they need to do to try to fix that because they're not going and they've canceled this because what they should be doing is telling Red Sox nation what the plan is moving forward. And it should come not from Sam Kennedy. Nobody gives a damn what that guy thinks it should come right from John Henry because we haven't heard from him in, I I don't even know the last time we've really heard him talk about the Red Sox. I, I, I don't know, but it's been a while. And I think if John Henry went out and he said, I understand frustration right now. We did not have the offseason we wanted. We have cut payroll. We have a lot of flexibility. And next offseason, we are going all in. If he said something like that, now fans may not believe it, but at least you can go off of from John Henry. This is what he said. Because this whole time it's been, well, this is what ownership is saying, but John Henry isn't actually saying it. Because in the past, John Henry has said things and it's mattered. But now he isn't saying anything and he has his puppets saying things and we don't know what's real. And it's honestly what they say is the opposite of what's happening. So it's really confusing. But it's super disappointing and it just, it's, it's a poor effort on their part that shows and it, it it really allows the fan base it gives more fuel to the fire for them to just question the commitment of ownership and that's just the opposite of what they should be doing it, it, it's it's a bummer because i will be honest i wanted to go but i can't justify paying i think it was like 95 dollars or something like that for a ticket i can't justify driving four hours paying 95 dollars for a ticket and then the organization has shown zero desire to win. I can't justify that. And I wanted to go. But it just, it's frustrating. And it really sucks for the players because the players, this is their career. They want to win. And they're going to have to hear fans complain. And they have nothing to do with it. They want to win. But the ownership is not giving them the tools they need to win. And it's a shame. But this is where we're at. And, um, you know, it, it's, I, I think it was telling if you follow Jared Carabas on Twitter, he himself even kind of called it, you know, kind of like it is. And he said, it's justified for Red Sox fans to feel frustrated and angry. And usually he doesn't do those types of things on social media. Usually he's pretty pro Red Sox, but there's really no justification to be pro Red Sox. You just, you sound like you're, 
getting paid under the table, you know, $100 by John Henry to talk nice about the Red Sox if you are pro-Red Sox right now because there just is really nothing to be excited about. Cody? I mean, it's an organization run by a bunch of cowards, whether it be in negotiations or, you know, facing the music when you when you behave poorly and you don't want to deal with the ramifications of your actions. Um, you know, Winter Weekend, as it's constructed should be a really, really exciting time, right? You know, Micah, you mentioned it. It's a four-hour drive. You get to meet some players, see some other fans, talk shop, you know, kind of give you something to hold on to as as you get through, you know, kind of the slog of winter. Something to look forward to as, you know, we're talking about truck day and, and spring training, you know, something to kind of buy that, that you know, um, middle point. Um, but, you know, it, it's really devolved the last couple of years as, as – you know, ownership and the front office have not given us much to be, to be excited about. And, you know, to, to run Papelbon out there as kind of a puppeteer to, to abate some of the fans, I think is also a unique strategy. Um, he's also starting to get a little radical with some of his takes out there. He, he's kind of going scorched earth on, you know, pretty much any and everybody. So I'll be interested to kind of see the trajectory that he takes uh, you know, he lambasted JD Drew there uh, today, which I thought was was unique. Um, but you know, the the idea of Winter Weekend was, I think, pure in in conception, right? You know, a, an idea for for all of us to get together and to be happy. Um, and you know, it, you sleep in the bed that you make, or you know, whatever. Like you reap what you sow, and and at this point in time, that's that's kind of what they're looking at, right? And last year they faced the music. They you know they took it on the chin, for lack of better terms. Um, and I think the only way that they're really going to know, you know, how we feel as an organization or as a fan base is either we don't show up at all, right? And there's no revenue, there's no ticket sales, and there's there's no impression, or you know we go there and we boo loudly, and everybody gets a negative reaction. And so last year we did the latter. We went there, we booed loudly, uh, you know, we kind of stuck it to them and nothing really changed. So at this point in time, you got to stop going, right? Like you got to stop giving your hard earned dollars uh, to this organization because I mean, for why, where's it going? What's it doing for you? It's not doing anything but causing us consternation and pain and frustration and headache and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real bummer. And I've always been in Florida and or Louisiana or Texas. So winter weekend hasn't really been, uh, something that I could could go and partake in. Um, and there's always been a cool opportunity that I would love to to do sometime. But you know, maybe maybe uh, another off season. Another thing that's kind of interesting: Rafi Devers, basically the face of the Red Sox organization, not scheduled to appear even at Winter Weekend himself. So. Um, and apparently Lucas Giolito as well, not scheduled to be there. So the optics of the event are, are just are looking bad. And I just hope if we are bad, I want to see an empty stadium this year. I, I want to see I want to see terrible optics with that, you know, throughout the year. Just empty seats everywhere because that's our way of sticking it to ownership. You know, you're not going to invest in the team. Well, guess what? We're not either. And I don't, I hope turnout is low at winter weekend. Even it's man, this is not the winter. I thought we were going to have on that September day. When, when bloom got fired, I thought, man, we're back. We are so back and we're going to, 
we're going to be that big market team again. And, and we're the furthest thing from that, the furthest thing from that. And nobody wanted to come here and we're, we're kind of seeing why, you know, they didn't, they didn't like the direction we were going and why waste three or four years of, of your career in Boston just to get fired? You know, it's been frustrating. So we'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, I, you know, they're either going to have to pivot and do something they previously said they're not willing to do or, or uh, something unforeseen is going to have to happen here. I don't know what that would be, but you guys have any final thoughts? Yeah, I probably had not a very popular take um, with this crew, but um, I think one thing you have to tip your cap to Heimblum is he sat up there and he took it. He at least had the guts. And it was reported that he truly felt that he owed it to the fan base to at least explain his idea of the direction of the team last offseason and he owed it for to answer questions that he at least tried to answer i mean they were poor poorly answered questions but he at least sat up there and took the booze and this offseason no one's gonna go up there and have the guts to stand up there and at least take it and i have to say i definitely soured on bloom over the, you know the the last couple months of his tenure with boston but even now i can respect the fact that he at least was willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think this this offseason has just started to look better and better for Bloom um, as each kind of day goes by and, you know, each of that inactivity. And, like, that's a great point. I mean, he never dodged a single media appearance, never dodged an interview, would go on podcasts, would answer questions, would, like you said, take it on the chin. And, you know, he's already back in baseball in, you know, a front office with, with the Cardinals, I believe. Um, yeah. It'll be really interesting if we ever get any sort of like clarity on what this five, six, hopefully year period has been for for the Red Sox, right? You know, what is really going on here? Um, you know, if we emerge from it or if this is just, you know, a transition into a deeper time. But um, no, you're absolutely right. Bloom, Bloom took it on the chin repeatedly countlessly was just kind of like the sacrificial puppet for, you know, the front office and, and for ownership. Actually, I, I got a couple of things. Uh, one I meant to uh, mention in my notes here, 10 years ago, John Henry was an outspoken owner with this team and tons of quotes in the media. The one thing I'll always remember from him is one day it was in the summer of 2012. That was the Bobby Valentine year. Not a whole lot going on by that point of the year. Some report came out that the Red Sox might be looking to sell the team. They might, you know, because they, they had a ton of bad press. The, the, the beer and chicken year was the previous year. And now the Bobby Valentine year was a, you know, was a clown show. And there, there was a, a bogus report out there that the Red Sox might be looking at selling here. And John Henry himself, within minutes of that, within like 30 minutes of that, was on WEEI via the phone to immediately dispel any of those rumors. And it was quick. And it was the owner of the Red Sox you know, confirming this, that, you know, it's just a bad rumor. It's not true. 
And while he was there, they fielded all kinds of questions. They said, well, now that you're here, could we ask you some other questions? They asked him what the status of Bobby Valentine was, and he was very political about it, very deflective, didn't want to answer it. Uh, you know, talked about some other stuff. The the salary dump that year, the Beckett, Crawford, Gonzalez thing to the Dodgers hadn't happened yet by that point. But But this is a different John Henry. I meant to mention that a minute ago. And the other thing we're not seeing here, I don't know if you guys follow Tom Karen at all, but he's been critical. He's been like, oh, I'm glad they signed Giolito, but we're a long ways out, you know? And and when Papelbon was on the show, and you can, if any of you didn't hear that in the audience, um, you can go dig down into our archives, you know, 15, 20 shows or so. We had him on in... I think it was October, October, November, somewhere around there. Um, and, you know, he was cr- he was kind of crapping on Bloom for the most part. But but he essentially alluded to, you know, it was kind of a relief, you know, from Nesson that we were moving on. And if you remember the day he got fired, Dave O'Brien mentioned it two or three times an inning. Like it was like the savior, like, thank goodness we're going to, we, we're going to pivot now. We're going to be better. Our ratings are going to go up. So I don't know if the Red Sox can rein in Nesson. They own Nesson. So you think they probably could, but they're not going to really flip the narrative at all. The beat writers are going to be, are going to destroy them for another season if they don't get this right. So that's refreshing that's refreshing. And we talked about before coming on, you know, we're not the only podcast in town anymore. That's going hardcore accountability on this team. I, I, I we're the OGs. We're, we're the OGs as far as that goes, but, but you know, we're not the only ones anymore. So it, it's going to be extremely tough for them to flip that narrative. And, and like I said, the best way to counter, their bad moves is to not go. Don't buy tickets, Micah. If the Red Sox really don't do anything significant in terms of any more additions, but they were to extend Tristan Casas or Brian Bayo, does that change the narrative at all for you? Or are you still very firm, I'm sour right now on where things are? It's highly necessary that they do that, but I'd still be pissed. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Say, I'm with you. I, what about you, Cody? Uh, sorry to cut you off there. Um, I would say they'd have to do both, and it would at least show us what the plan is, right? Because then it'd be like, all right, look, we're investing in homegrown guys. We're investing in our own talent. You know, we're we're making it appealing by saying, hey, if you come here, you produce or, you know, if we draft you and you produce, we're going to invest in you, which is not something that they've done in years past. Um, if they did both, I would definitely be be more readily uh, willing to be reeled back in. That's fair enough. I, I, I just like I'm almost getting to the point where, like, if they don't extend Casas in the next year or two. With this organization, it's too late. Like, <laughs> and that's absurd because, like, if he still is like, um, like just entering arbitration, you should easily be able to extend him and still save some dollars. But like, Tristan Casas, if I if I think he if he becomes what I think many believe he's going to become, 
he's going to cost 150 plus million dollars. He might even cost that now if you give him an eight year deal or nine year deal. But if you wait a year or two, it only goes up if he has a breakout year in 2024. And if they wait a year or two, I feel like we could see the Devers situation all over again, where you're like entering his final year and we're wondering, are they going to sign him? Are they going to trade him? What are they going to do? And it's like, I think if they sign Casas to an extension, it would at least say he is definitely a building block moving forward. I, I mean, he is anyways, but it's like we are definitely building around him endeavors for the next decade plus. I, I just I feel like we need something like that. Even if they go out and sign a pitcher, we need something like that to know that we are committed to the guys that we're developing because that's the whole point of sucking is – you at least get good draft picks, build the farm, and hopefully have young, controllable players, and you have a good core. If you have the year, if Casas has the year that we desperately need him to have, which would be a big year, and you didn't extend him, you might you might have blown it. You might have blown it because he's only got one more year after this pre-arbitration. And then at that point, what it doesn't matter. He's going to be making probably four million, then eight million, then fifteen to twenty million. If if he's the player we think he's going to be, so if he's getting that money anyway, why why sign early at that point? He's going to go the Mookie Betts route, and he should, and he should. So I don't think you necessarily have to get Bayo done this year, but you definitely have to get. Casas done I think and I think he's already at 150 I really do and so I mean it would have to be at least what seven years I'm bad at math I think it would have to be more than that because he still has five years of team control you would want him to have more like you wouldn't want to be like giving him way more money than he actually would for just two additional years. Like it would have to be like a a seven year deal with two team options or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the example I actually gave uh, last fall was, um, was eight years with two team options. If I'm not mistaken, Um, the team option years would be a big money, probably 30 million a piece. But, um, but yeah, so We'll see, but that's an interesting conversation and one I, that I think we'll be having. And if they could do it in season two, I guess, like they could sign him this summer to an extension even. So I don't know that there has to be a hard deadline, you know, before opening day. But but that that's a situation that can easily be botched. I mean, we're hoping he's going to be a, a cornerstone this year you know, a bona fide heart of the order guy. And if you suddenly let him get the leverage, ouch, you know, it's just, I I don't know. I mean, you're, it's going to be that same sad movie. And I don't think, I don't think in the next handful of years, they're going to cave at the last minute like they did with Devers and, and give him the deal. You know, I, I just don't. How many contracts like that size can you have, really? Uh, basically, just one, I think. 
Well, that's why you have to do it now. Yeah, like, exactly. you know what I mean? Like you could probably do it in the next 12 months and be okay. But if you wait longer than that, you're not really getting a friendly discount. Like the contracts that the Braves have signed over the years, you're not getting those. Um, so, I mean, I, I really think it's, it's right now. Go ahead, Cody. I was just going to reference the Braves, right? Like, it'd be one thing if it was unprecedented or nobody else is doing it in the league, but you literally see the blueprint of the benefit of doing that, right? Like, they locked up Acuna, they locked up Albies. I mean, granted, you know, to minimum wage deals, but it they're in the World Series and they have the flexibility to go out and get free agents. Like, you can do both if you sign, you know, these elite level players or, you know, above average or at the very least major league players to major league i guess friendly deals uh it's frustrating and i I think i'm i'm at the point where it's like show me you believe in a player because they've talked about how much they believed in tristan casas and they 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 did show it by keeping him up in the big leagues but it's like show me you are committed to building around him because it really should be casas endeavors are the two pillars of this offense moving forward. There's no reason. And I want to see that. And I want to see that commitment from ownership. And I just, I don't think I would be so concerned if we didn't experience Mookie, if we didn't experience John Lester before that, and we didn't experience Xander Bogarts. Like there's just, there's been way too many deals that have gone sour and we see how they, think they know the market in free agency and they have no clue and it concerns me because you you can't lowball him and then be like oh well now we want to pay you the proper amount you're going to end up overpaying and it's like you could get Tristan Casas for probably like 15 to 17 million dollars per year and if you believe he is going to be the guy you think he's going to be that is a massive steal yeah, I just, as you were giving your take, I was just writing out scenarios numbers-wise. So if you gave him an eight-year deal at $15 million per, that would be $120 million, and then you could add two option years on, um, I would say, I guess if they're $15 million, you know, for the first eight, you know, you, they the option years would probably be worth twenty a piece. So that would be one sixty over ten years, uh, conceivably. Um, but it could go as high as twenty per year. So that would be eight at one sixty, and then the two option years probably would be at about thirty million. Uh, that gets you to two twenty over ten years. But that that is still a steal compared to what you're seeing with some of these big bats. You know, w- wait till we see what we've already seen what Shohei would get, and you know, if he isn't a pitcher, he's getting three fifty. Then right, you know, half of the the seven hundred. You know, Mookie, Tatis, Harper. Manny Machado the second time around. Well, actually, both times was the first time he was at 300 in his initial deal with the Padres, and then I think the the second one is uh, even north of that. But so you can get Casas for 160 to 180 in a decade. <laughs> you know, that's a no brainer. But and 
you know, three or four years, we're going to be saying the same thing about possibly Meyer or Anthony. So, um, you know, it's an endless cycle. And in the end, we won't sign them all, I don't think. But but it's possible. It's it's more it, more possible. I don't even know if that's a phrase. <laughs> but it, it's you have a better chance of doing that if you do it early like the Braves have. They could never have kept Acuna, Albies, um, Riley, signed Olsen. They could have never gotten all those guys unless they did it early. And if you believe in the players, do it now. That's that's what I'm saying. Do it now so that way you can, instead of paying 220 for Casas, you pay 160 That's $60 million you saved over the course of the deal. Go put that towards the next extension. The Red Sox need to operate like this if they truly don't want to act like a big market and if they want to win. Just seeing what Austin Riley got real quick. Ten years, two hundred and twelve. How did he do last year? I know he wasn't as good as the previous year. But... He's a stud. He's a stud. Okay, I could be wrong. Then let's see. Uh, he where's his average? Two eighty one last year with a three forty five on base, thirty seven home runs. All right, I take it back. He was he he was excellent last year. For some reason, I thought he regressed just slightly, but it's not something. You know, that would have been too concerning. So I think that that's where that that's the comp for for Casas. You know, if if they wait one more year beyond this, like I think is more likely. I think that's that's where that's where they're trending. But you look at, you know, the fact that they're not going high in payroll like we need to add more than what we what we have so that just makes it seem unlikely this year that they would get that done but all right well let's wrap on that uh, a tristan casas extension deep dive was not on the docket but we went there <laughs> and uh you know that's the conversation you're supposed to be having at this point in the winter because all the signings have happened but <laughs> but they haven't so um so you know we've been talking largely about that but um probably well we could be back if things develop uh you know with our luck a friday signing could happen so who knows um that's been the trend this winter but barring uh nothing we'll be back on uh sunday night to discuss more news and rumors so everyone have a good weekend take care